You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. You know, at times, I think it's, it's only natural, isn't it, that our, our willingness to engage or, or even to consider engaging with a God who describes himself as a father is influenced profoundly by the quality of men that we have grown up with or even continue to be surrounded by. Some of us, as, as we've, we've no doubt reflecting on, some of us, we've had wonderful men in our lives. Valiant men, not just good men, but decent men, genuinely decent men who love, lead, serve and lay down their lives for us. Men we genuinely thank God for. And some of us haven't. Some of us haven't at all. Some of us have had physically present yet emotionally distant fathers. Fathers who are hardworking and dedicated in their workplaces, but not hardworking and dedicated in their most important workplace, that of the family home. Others here are listening online, and by the way, welcome to you if you are with us online have likely had relationships with men who haven't treated us very well at all. Abusive or manipulative husbands or fathers, really poor examples of men who have sadly, tragically, left a, a, like a trail of destruction in their wake and that it's gone down the generations after generations after generations, left us feeling hurting and broken. And naturally, today's like... Today's... Today, like... Days like today, that's what I was trying to say, Ray. I got there in the end. (laughs) Days like Father's Day can be really tough if that's our experience of fathers. And it can be especially hard to want to draw near to a father God if that's been our experience. Now, here's the thing, and I, I encourage you today, if you're seeking spiritual truth, really hear this today. Allow this to not just go in your ears and, or in one ear and then out the other or even in the ear and then kind of flutter around inside for a moment and then just go away after a few days. Allow this to sink deep into your heart, especially if you haven't had the greatest experience with men in your life. Hear this. God is unlike any human man or father. God is unlike any human man or father. He is truly... As, we, as Justin said this morning, he is truly the most wonderful father who has the most beautiful father heart for you, for me, for every single person who's ever been in existence and ever will be in existence on this planet. That's who he is. So today what we're going to do is we're going to explore a psalm that really gets to the heart of this father. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 13. And it, it describes the, the grace of God the Father, a father unlike any other, to really better understand the Father heart of God. So how about we pray as we open God's word together and seek to draw near to a father like no wonder, the wonderful Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, we praise you this morning. We we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and do a work in each of our hearts, Lord, For some of us, our hearts are overjoyed as we think about you as a father. And for others, Lord, maybe even those who are seeking spiritual truth today, it's almost like a bit of a a turn-off 
to even consider that you liken yourself to a father. And yet, God, we, we can see and we will see from your word that you are not like any earthly father. You are not like any earthly man. You are the greatest father we could ever have and ever imagine. And so, God, I pray today as we unpack your word, as we allow our hearts to rest in your very presence, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring home this word to each and every heart in the way that we need to hear it so that we would not be turned off turned off relationship with a Father God, but we would be drawn to relationship with a Father God as we better understand the Father's heart for us. So we pray all this knowing that this is your desire, Lord, that all would come to know you as Father in deep and meaningful ways. Would you do this even more, Lord? Even if we've been Christian our entire life, God, would we have fresh revelation of your Father heart towards us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So reading Psalm 103, 8 to 13, and we'll start at verse 8. Psalmist writes, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, this is a beautiful Old Testament passage that really, in many ways, declares the good news. It's like a, a glimpse of the gospel back there in the Psalms, points to the wonder of God's grace and the wonder of the gospel. Many people over the years, biblical scholars, have, have highlighted that this passage highlights four key truths about the kind of father that God is. John uh, sorry, Jim Nicodem, he's the senior pastor at Christ Community Church in the US. He says, this passage shows us that when it comes to his love for sinful people, God has a long fuse, a short memory, a thick skin, and a big heart. God's got a long fuse, short memory, thick skin, and a big heart. I like that. I really like that. So let's flesh these four points out, and I'll link the final two into one, just because... Every good message has three points, doesn't it? <laughs> Amen, says Angela. Here's the first. God is a father with a long fuse. Verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If For those who've studied the Bible, you might know this. This is the second time that this description pops up in Scripture. But this is the first time, unlike the... The, the original one this is the first time that God uses these words to describe himself. In Exodus chapter 34, we can read about when, when God passed in front of Moses after Moses had asked to see his face, to, to, to get a sense of, of who this God is, to, to get a glimpse of the glory of God. And in this moment, as God passed by Moses, who was... Who was um, protected, God spoke to him and described himself this way. He said, 
The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. All throughout the ages, right up until today, and forevermore, friends, until Jesus returns and makes all things new once again, despite the wickedness, despite the foolishness, despite the outright rebellion of people towards him, what does God do? He remains gracious, merciful. He is slow to anger. Only uh, in a couple of chapters back in Exodus 32, some of you might remember this. Moses is up hearing from God, getting the, getting the commandments. What do the people do? They get sick of waiting. We don't like to wait, do we? Well, they didn't like to wait. They're like, oh, who knows? He might not even come back. I know, why don't we make ourselves a golden calf to worship and give that the glory for getting us out of trouble? And so the Israelites do exactly that. They, they fashion a, a, a golden calf. They tell Moses when he gets back that, oh, just fell into the fire and then this popped out. And like, yeah, that, that always happens, doesn't it? You throw your gold ring in the fire and out pops a golden calf. It's just the way it works. Anyway, they, they gave glory to a created thing fashioned with their own hands rather than the creator who had just delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1, to 23, they were claiming to be wise, yet they became fools and exclaimed, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's an apt description of what they did. And friends, the same, same is true today. We often have hard hearts towards God, don't we? We, we often have hard hearts towards God. We're, we're good at thinking we know best about any given thing, thinking we don't need God, thinking in a sense that we are our own God, little g God, masters of our own destinies, and so often we glorify in created things or sometimes, if we really want to be honest today, we glorify in ourselves, self-exaltation, you know. Look how good I am. Look at what I can achieve. Look at how big my bank balance is. Look at how beautiful I am. That's, what, that's one of your struggles, isn't it, Ray? Mine too. <laughs> Rather than in our creator. Isn't that right, Ray? In the image of God. Amen. You and I are beautiful because we're created in his image. Amen. And yet, sorry I'm picking on you today, Ray. It's not fair, is it? Okay, I'll stop. And yet, despite all people all over the years going this way in their hearts, God the Father continues to be merciful. He continues to be gracious. He continues to be slow to anger. He's a father who possesses an incredibly long fuse. He is patient with you. As 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the Father heart of God. So that's the first. And here's... The second, God is a father, not with a short fuse, but a short memory. 
Psalm 103 verse 9 says, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Has anyone ever, and husbands and wives, be very careful how you answer this. I've given you a warning, all right? There you go. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who keeps an extensive record of wrongs? Has anyone ever been? Smart people, don't answer that. You can't... (laughs) Don't say your husband or wife, you'll be in the doghouse on Father's Day. It's not a good place to be. Some of us have. Some of us have been in relationships like this or do have relationships with this. What what is the quality of a relationship like that? Is it the kind of relationship that we, we can't wait to be with a person like that? That we just do anything to be able to spend some time in someone's presence? Of course not. They're not the kind of relationships that are much fun at all, are they? They're not the kind of relationships that any of us want to have. And for some of us, when we hear a verse like that which I just read, and then we we flip it because we reflect on the interactions that we've had with fathers or perhaps other men in our lives, and we think of it like this, he always chides. He keeps his anger forever. Maybe some of us can relate to that. For some of us, tragically, this flipped verse tragically sums up our, many of our interactions with men over the years perfectly. Now, again, here's the good news. If that has been our experience, God is unlike any human father or human man. He's different. He doesn't sit there with a long list of wrongs ready to raise them with you whenever you slip up. Satan does, but God doesn't. God chooses to have a short memory, which is great news for us. I mean, it's great news for me. Why is that? Well, as Psalm 130 verse 3 makes clear, it says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Like if God kept a record of all my wrongs in, a, in an hour, I'd be in trouble. Maybe you would too. Extend it out to a day, a week, a month, a year. Wouldn't, be, wouldn't go well for us, would it? Now the question's rhetorical, but the answer's plain and simple. Who, who can stand? Not one of us. Not one of us at all. As Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, every single one of us, if you're seeking spiritual truth today, sinning simply means disobedience, willful disobedience, going your own way rather than God in any given thing. And all of us have sinned, all of us continue to sin, and God chooses to have a short memory. God chooses to not hold our sin against us, against anyone who chooses to turn to him for salvation by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, his son. As verse 12 in Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, don't know where they are right now, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Just think about that for a moment. If you think of the globe, how many kilometers is it until you, from the east all the way to the west? It's a couple, isn't it? So it's a fair description. That's, that's the psalmist trying to, trying to articulate the lengths of, of God's 
um, forgiveness. So far from that side of the earth all the way to that side of the earth. Like, are you hearing that? It's incredible. It's a beautiful truth. It's a, it's a profoundly comforting truth. And it's a comforting reality for anyone who follows and loves and turns to Jesus. As one writer says, he puts it this way. He writes, God sends our sins very far away from us so that they can no longer affect us. It does not mean that we as believers no longer sin or that our sins are erased from God's mind. It only means that our sins no longer have any bearing on our salvation. Jesus' perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection is the only means by which we are saved. Amen? When we trust in Christ, we come under a new paradigm or way of thinking. Although our sins still grieve God and cause ruin in our lives and in the lives of others, our salvation is secure. Our salvation is secure. If you're here today or or watching online, rejoice that that's your reality, that that is 100% true for you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done and because of the fact that you've chosen to place your faith in him alone. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I encourage you, choose to place your faith in him today. Find freedom, find life, find joy through relationship with him. Salvation really is there for the taking. It's a gift that's been given already. And as Cam said earlier in communion, It's not a gift to to be all dusty on a shelf. It's not a gift like maybe some wedding gifts you got from a great distant auntie that are still wrapped at the back of your cupboard somewhere. I don't have a great distant auntie, by the way. Just putting it out there. It's a gift to be opened. It's a gift to be cherished. It's a gift to be enjoyed now. And here's the reality forevermore as well. Eternity starts the moment we we turn to Jesus and place our faith in him. All right. Okay. So God the Father is unlike any other father or man, and his God is a father with a long fuse, a short memory, and God's a father with a thick skin and big heart. Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us, according to our iniquities. Um, Jim Nicodem, he shared these insights, which I think are really helpful. He says, if God punished us every time we deserved it, (laughs) we would be in a perpetual state of receiving retribution. Wouldn't we? (laughs) Wouldn't we? Like, think about it. We would. Every time we turn around, God would be chastening us for a selfish attitude or hurtful words or prideful spirit or materialism, or indifference to the needs of others, or something. We're all on that list. The Bible word for this thick skin of God's is forbearance. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. There are a lot of things that God never brings up to us because he's chosen just to ignore them. Love covers a multitude of sins. You know, it's so true, isn't it? Praise God for his forbearance. Praise God that that's the kind of heart he has for the patience, for the forgiveness, for the kindness that he continues to show us despite 
our brokenness, despite our tendency to go our own way and sin, walking away from his ways, which are always better. What grace and mercy we've been shown. What a kind father we have in God. And not only does God show forbearance, he's also a father with a big heart. Perhaps for me, in, in all of Scripture, the most powerful illustration of this is the Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. For me, every time I, I read this, every time I think about it, I get tears. So if I start bawling in a moment, just excuse me. It just has that effect on me. If you're not familiar with it, Jesus tells this story, this really powerful story about, about a son who approached his father wanting what was rightfully his when his father died right now, the inheritance. Who, who knows that wouldn't go down well today, would it, if anyone did that? No? Wouldn't go down well? Well, it would go down about as well now as it would back then. It was, it was a, a deeply offensive thing, a hurtful thing for a son to say, hey, give me what is owed me one day when you die and give it to me now because I want what you've got right now. He wanted an early payout. So what does the father do? The father goes ahead. He, he divides his property. He passes on the son's share of his estate. And then the son, what does he do? Invests in Bitcoin pretty well. May as well have. It was about as, as useful investment strategy. What does he do with it? He, inv- he squanders it. He, he wastes it. As Luke 15, 13 says, in reckless living. That's, that's the way it was summed up. And so if you think about it, this son, he, he was partying it up. He was, he was living his best life now. He was living for the moment and he was wasting his inheritance in the pursuits and enjoyments of temporary pleasures. Gold, girls, glory. That's what he was doing. And eventually what happens? The money runs out. The, the hangers-on, those who are just hanging around him because he's got money and he's the one to shout, shout the next round of drinks at the bar, all of a sudden they're not hanging on anymore. And then he finds himself alone. He finds himself alone with nothing. And he hits rock bottom. He's so desperate. He's so penniless that he does what no Jew would ever, no respectable Jew would ever consider doing. What does he do? He gets a job looking after pigs. And if you know anything about pigs and, and Jews' beliefs and that sort of thing, pigs are seen as unclean animals. They're ceremonially unclean. So for a Jew to be constantly around pigs means they're constantly unclean and therefore can't fully participate in society in the day. It's like the last thing you would ever consider doing. But it gets worse. You think, how could it get worse? It gets worse. Not only does he land a job a lowly job tending pigs, but he's so destitute that he snacks on the pig food. He sees the pig mush and he says, I'll have what they're having. Like, he's that low. He eats pig food alongside the pigs. Before too long, no doubt with a bit of potato in his mouth or something, he's like, I've had enough of this. I, I don't... I'm done with this. I've, I've made a big mistake here. I'm going to go back to my father and I, I don't know. I'll just, I'll try. I'll, I'm just going to go there. 
And on the way, he's thinking to himself, man, my father is going to be so angry at me. I have wronged him. I have brought shame on my family. No doubt this has gone around town. Everyone know that this has happened. Everyone know the disrespect my father's been shown. He's not going to look beyond this. He's not, going to, he's not going to be able to see beyond the fact that I've dishonoured him and brought shame on my family. He's going to be so hurt. There's not a snowflake chance in hell that he would ever think about forgiving me. Maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get there and, and he won't turn me away. He'll let me be like one of his hired hands. Maybe he'll give me the lowliest. Maybe I can feed the pigs and at least have a, a roof over my head at night and maybe, maybe a bit of bread instead of pig scraps to eat. Maybe if I get down on my knees and beg, maybe then I'll... And his thoughts are broken as he's coming around the bend and he, and he sees his father. And the father, spotting his son in the distance, he does what no Jewish man ever does. You just don't do this. It's, it's not something that's done. He sees his son and he hitches up his Levi's, or whatever they are. He hitches up his clothes and he starts running. You see, no Jewish man in society would ever do that. It was improper to be seen to be run. It would be improper to have your, your knees shown, you know, that kind of thing. It's just, it just wasn't done. So the father, seeing his son shuffling along the rows, he just drops what he's doing. He hitches his clothes and he makes a beeline for him. He sees his son coming at a distance and he disregards all cultural conventions and he makes a beeline for his son. And seeing his son coming closer and closer and then right there before him, seeing this son who has wronged him terribly, the father does what? Punches him in the face? No. He's not like any earthly father. This father embraces him in a big bear hug and he kisses him and won't let him go. And the son, no doubt, feeling pretty awkward at this point and unsure and out of breath, he, he goes to apologise. He goes in some way to, to make up for his wrongs, but the father interrupts him and he said, no, 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 I forgive you, my son. I forgive you. But not only that, he doesn't just forgive him, but he restores him to a place of honour in the family. He restores him to a place of honour in his family. The son was thinking he was going to return and maybe be as, as lowly as a hireling, and his son and his father sees him and he says, No, my son, you are my son, and I will raise you to be a son. And that's what in the parable, we won't go into it now, but you read it for yourself this week. That's what the robe, that's what the ring, that's what the shoes symbolize in Jesus' parable. Visible signs that declare to all people, This kid, this son is no ordinary son, he's my son. He's a member of my family. See the ring? The family crest, that's my son. He's my child. And then the father celebrates that his son has returned. And he, he's so overjoyed that this son has come back that he invites everyone to come and party. Come celebrate. He gets his servants to kill the fattened calf. And the fattened calf is the choice animal in the flock. This is the one that they've been tending to all years, waiting for the right occasion, which, which is reserved for things like a wedding or um, you know, major, major feasts in the Jewish calendar, and they slaughter it just so they can celebrate. As verse 24 puts it, that my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, if you're not familiar with this parable, you can probably see 
where this is going, who the father in the story is. The father in this story is God. The father in the story is God. And we are, or should we return and come to the father for the first time? We are the prodigal son. What an incredible picture of Father God. What remarkable love, what remarkable grace the Father offers each one of us, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done. You know, that's, that's the thing, friends. I, I've chatted with people over the journey and they're like, well, Joel, if only you knew what I've done. If only you knew what I've done. And they think like somehow what they've done is a barrier to God. Well, turn them to the prodigal son. Open scripture with them. Show them that this is God's heart towards them. If he's able to forgive a prodigal son who's taken an early inheritance, squandered the wealth on, squandered the wealth on reckless living, which, which many say is on prostitutes and drink, I reckon God can pretty well forgive any one of us. Friends, Father's Day can be super tough for a range of reasons. We've all had very different experiences with men, with fathers. Some positive, some life-giving, and others deeply hurtful and soul-destroying. Can I encourage you today? Can I encourage you today? Whatever your experience of fathers, whatever your experience of men, allow God to plant this truth deep down within your heart as you open yourself to experiencing relationship with him. God the Father is different. God the Father is different. He's unlike any other father or man. God the Father has a long fuse, not a short one like some earthly men do. A short memory, not a long memory like some earthly ones do. A thick skin, not a thin one like some men to their detriment do. And a big heart. That is Father God. Get this. Open your heart to not only hear this, not only let it come in and then out the other in a few days, but allow it to come into your ears, deep down into your heart, and then change your very life. The way the God, the Father, is depicted in Jesus' parable, the way the Father responds to his Son in this story is the way that he will respond to you. If you're, if you're still on a journey of seeking spiritual truth, if you turn to him today, that is how the Father will respond to you, right now, today, guaranteed. And friends, maybe those of us who've been Christian for a while, maybe we've forgotten this. Maybe we've forgotten that this is how God the Father has turned to us and has responded to us, but longs to continually respond to us too. When we've gone our own way, when we've fallen into a pattern of sin, when we've just compromised in whatever other way, God just wants us to turn back to him and he's going to come running. He's going to come running once again. He sees you. And as Psalm 103.13 says, God the Father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Just want to encourage you. God's the father with a long fuse, a short memory, a thick skin, and a big heart. 
and that's for you. He passionately loves you like no one else. So choose to today, right now, this morning on Father's Day, to trust in this good, good Father who can be trusted and place your faith in what Jesus has achieved through his death, burial and resurrection for your sake. I'd just love to pray for every one of us now as we close that wherever we're at, wherever we're at, whether we've been a believer for a long, long time or whether we're, we're looking to respond to God, maybe for the first time this morning, that we would respond and embrace relationship with this Father God, the Father like, like, like no other. Let's pray. Yeah, loving God, we praise you. We praise you this morning. We give you glory. We give you honour. We give you praise. You are truly a father like no other. You, you are incredible, God. The, the, the long-suffering, the patience, the, the gentleness, the, the forbearance, the, the joy, Lord. You are an incredible father. And we just pray, God, that as we've even reflected on that, that beautiful parable of the prodigal son, Lord, that we would see afresh the wonder of your Father heart towards us. For those who have been Christian for a while, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, Lord, that that image would hit home for us once again. It wasn't just a one-time thing. That can be a daily experience of ours as we turn to you and repent and come back to you to walk in step with your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for those who, who are seeking truth or maybe even hostile to truth, maybe never considered that there would be a God uh, and even less a God that was a father who was actually a good father. God, I pray that you would do a work in their hearts to, to turn their hearts toward you, to, to make anything that which is hard, make it soft so that this reality can become their reality, bringing them life and hope and freedom and joy in relationship with the Father, God, like no other. So God, we thank you for your incredible Father heart for us. And we pray, God, that not only today would we reflect on it, but into this week and in the weeks ahead, that we would be overwhelmed and overjoyed as we reflect on your Father heart, the Father heart that is for each and every one of us. So we pray all these things in the precious and mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.